Yeah, to see you. Thank you, Julie, and all the wonderful band for leading us. I so regularly, week by week, come and worship here and just enjoy coming and enjoying the worship and the praise and the teaching. And I just so want to say a huge thank you to you all, everybody who sets up week by week, uh, bringing God's word and worshiping. It's just such a great joy to, to be here in this church. A little girl asked her mother, how did the human race come about? The mother answered, well, God made Adam and Eve, and they had children, and so all mankind was made. Two days later, she asked her father the same question. The father answered, well, many years ago, there were monkeys, and we developed from them. Hmm, the confused girl returns to her mother and says, Mum, how is it possible that you told me that the human race was created by God and Dad says that we are developed by monkeys? The mother said, that's quite simple. I told you about the origin of my side of the family and your father told you about the origins of your side of the family. His side of the family. Would you like to turn to Luke chapter 11 and we're going to look at verses 37 on. There are certain passages in Scripture that, um, uh, as a chaplain, I use beside the bedside. Uh, this is probably one of those verses I wouldn't use beside the bedside. <laughs> but it is in Scripture. It's there. And, and we have to face it. And we have to read it. And we get an awful lot from it. So let's read it and, and take it on board and see what God wants to say to us through it. So it's Luke chapter 11, 37 to 54. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean to you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint rue and all the other kinds of garden herds, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus, was, Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. 
They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and, and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. He's not finished yet. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something that he might say. Wow. What a passage of Scripture. Great. Now, one of the joys in working at Bournemouth Hospital is that each morning as I go into the chapel, there is St. Luke, the gospel for whom we've just been reading. There is St. Luke standing in front of me. Now, this stained glass window was originally in the boardroom of the Royal Victoria Hospital in Boscombe, and it was moved to Bournemouth Hospital when Boscombe Hospital was brought down. And it was put there in memory of Arthur Vernon, who was a good egg in the community. He promoted health in the town and made sure that our hospitals uh, in the early uh, 19th, uh, 20th century really came up to scratch. Um, I imagine that he, he was a physician. He was, he was a very, very good doctor, Arthur Vernon. And I imagine that is why in St. Luke's left hand, you can see the rod of Asclepius, which is a Greek mythological symbol for health. But I also like to imagine it is the bronze snake that Moses put up to bring healing to the people of Israel. Uh, this is appropriate because St. Luke is the patron saint of physicians. Paul calls St. Luke the doctor. And in his gospel Jesus, uh, about Jesus, he hints again and again that health of the whole person and the health of the whole of society is really important to St. Luke. For, in, for example, it is Luke who tells us that the woman who had internal bleeding had spent all of her savings on paying for doctors for her healing. In chapter 9 and chapter 11, we are told how Jesus sent his disciples out to bring healing to the sick and drive out demons. And in Luke's book on Acts, a whole family come to faith expressing the health of society. This is clearly important to Luke. And at our deepest levels, it's crucial to each one of us as well, isn't it? We yearn for a world that is restored. We long for our lives to be whole, in balance, socially, mentally, physically, emotionally, cognitively. This is what Luke wants as well. And this is why he writes the events of Jesus' life. Wherever Jesus goes, he brings health, healing, restoration, and salvation. And he still wants that today. We still want that today. That wonderful hymn, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like we his praise should sing? 
Luke is showing us that Jesus Christ as the new human, the ultimate priest, the cosmic king, God's heavenly being, has come to the world in a new way. This is a physician's dream. People are getting healed completely. And I can't tell you how much I see the way Luke is thinking, for I stand so often at the end of the West Wing in the entrance of the Royal Bournemouth Hospital, and I see tides of people coming in, and they're going to their appointments and clinics and x-rays, ultrasounds, limping and wincing, and I think, God, when is your kingdom going to come on earth? When is it going to come in its fullness? The NHS cannot cope under the pressure of the tidal wave of ill health. Come, Lord Jesus, bring your health and wholeness. And at this point in the vision that Luke is presenting to us in chapters 10 to 11, Jesus has brought together a new community who have been delegated with the authority to bring his kingdom, to bring in his will on earth and in heaven. But in this chapter... Luke also wants to identify those who are not bringing this health and life into the kingdom. Who is it not coming through? He is identifying the fake. In 2017, a doctor who worked in the NHS for 20 years was convicted of deliberate and wicked deception. After forging a medical degree certificate and practicing as a psychiatrist without necessary qualifications. The fraudulent doctor, who is believed to be 60, worked in hospitals across England, Wales, and Scotland and received an income and benefits of more than a million pounds across her career at Manchester Crown Court Hurt. The doctor was found guilty of 13 counts of fraud three counts of obtaining financial advantage by deception, two counts of forgery, and two counts of using a false instrument. Now, let me ask you this question. Would you not feel angry if you had been treated by that doctor? They are not bringing the health, but significant pain to those who they had allegedly treated. In this section that Luke is bringing to us, he is in contrast, he is showing the previous section of the way Jesus' kingdom is bringing health and, health and life through the Holy Spirit. But he is now confronting those who hypocritically are not bringing health. And yet they say they are. Jesus is again at a meal. I don't even get the impression that the first course of the meal had even been brought out. There was no Mediterranean diet about to be had here. The olives, the focaccia bread, goat cheese had not even been brought out yet. Jesus had only got through the door and he hadn't washed. And the Pharisees had noticed it with a critical eye immediately the atmosphere changes. There is no nice, would you like a sherry? Glass of wine, ice and a slice, none of that. Nothing of that easy getting to know each other. No, Jesus is straight in there and straight at the host. 
you greedy, wicked, foolish people. Feel the tension? Woe to you. Literally, judgment is at your door. You proud, unmarked graves. Death drips off you. You hypocrites. That's the sort of meal you like to be at, isn't it? There's a very awkward silence. I like the way that the expert in the law pipes up. I think he's trying to break the ice. Just remember, Jesus, if you offend the Pharisees, you offend us as well. Jesus is almost saying, I'm glad you said that. And that poor expert in the law wished he kept his mouth shut for the rest of his life. Woe to you, experts in law. Judgment on you, you tomb builders. Your fathers killed the prophets and you're the ones that build their tombs. If there was a prophet amongst you, you would be trying to kill him now as well. And Jesus is behaving just like a prophet amongst them at that moment. Teachers of the law, you lock the truth up so that no one can find it. Since chapter 10, Luke has brought the event after an event together to show God's blessing and sovereignty in the world. But Jesus sees the pain that the Pharisees are causing. They're causing them to other people. And what's more, they are blind to the pain that they are causing. They are holding back the wholeness that God wants to pour out on his people. These experts in the law appear to be God's representatives, but are only committing, committed to their own selfish gain. Jesus is angry. Why is he angry? Because he wants them to wake up to what they are doing. He is committed to challenging these people who claim to represent God's ways and himself. Capture that moment, that electricity in that room. It would have been awkward. It would have been horrible. I would have wanted to get out as quickly as I possibly could. But Jesus goes at them because he wants them to see the reality of what is happening. There is a major problem. Those who set themselves up as the guardians of God's word are fake. They are frauds. They are hypocrites. So how does Jesus help them to see what they are doing? I love that the Bible is full of pictures. And Jesus uses pictures and stories again and again to help us envision the future. And even here, even with these tough words, he's painting pictures for us. The first is the fact that he is at the meal in the first place. If we go back through scripture, again and again, we see that God uses food as a means to communicate with people that heaven is on earth. He shows through eating with them that heaven is a place. Think of the way that Abraham 
ate with God. Think of the way that Gideon ate with God. Think about all the food um, festivals in the Old Testament. They all show that God wants to eat with us. And at that place, it is a place of restoration, change, and transformation. Here is the place of restoration. So Jesus is being very hard on the Pharisees, but at the same time, he's giving them a wonderful picture. He's saying, here is a picture. God is eating with you. Here is the place of transformation. Here is the change. He wants to see repentance, even in these men. And then in that very difficult passage in 47 to 51, which talks about the prophets and Abel and Zechariah, Jesus is almost standing in the middle of a key point in history. He's saying, you, you Pharisees, you experts in law, you know all about the prophets. Look back to all of the prophets. Look back and look about what you did to them. You killed them. And you would be wanting to kill one now as well. But at the same time, he talks about looking forward. And he said, unless you change, there will be judgment. I thought it was fascinating that Kay brought that out of the psalm this morning. God is a God of judgment. And at times we have to face that reality. These guys will face judgment unless they repent. Jesus is standing at that midpoint. He's saying, look back to what has happened. Look forward to where we're going. And the judge is standing amongst you now. The one who you are criticizing will be your judge. At times we have to face the reality that God is a judge and we must face that. In his anger, Jesus is truly gracious. He is giving these pictures to show the reality of the change that must happen. He is willing them to repent of their hypocrisy. He wants them to recognize the hypocrisy and to change it. Why is that so important for us? Well, in a national newspaper recently, it highlighted how living a fake life, living hypocritically, is almost part of our lifestyle now. This is what it says. The problem with practicing what you preach or maintaining a high moral standard, is it's hard work. You tell people to give money to charity or abstain from certain indulgences. This means you have to do these things too. But what if you just say that you do these things, but you don't do them? You get all the benefits of people thinking you're a good, capable person, but you don't have to practice any restraint. It's a win-win. Humans are prone to the principle of least effort, 
often known as the path of the path of least resistance, which means they'll go for whatever option requires that least amount of work. Hypocrisy allows you to appear principled without having to be so, which is so much easier. Modern politicians seem to have grasped this fact, making big speeches about all the great things they'll do and never doing any of them. Given how seldom they seem to suffer any consequences for their hypocrisy being revealed, why should they ever want to stop? This is the message that Jesus has to us this morning. We have a tendency to fake it. We have a tendency to be hypocritical. But Jesus longs, just as he longed for the Pharisees and the experts to change, to be aware of what they were doing, that he longs for us to change wherever we may be at on our lifestyle this morning. He is here this morning saying to us, guard your heart. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In verse 39, Jesus challenges the, the Pharisees by saying, you're being greedy. You appear to be generous, but you're greedy. Be generous. When we're excited about what money can do for us and not what it's doing for others, guard your heart. In verse 42, he challenges the Pharisees that they're not looking at justice. He's saying to them, be compassionate. Yes, we all want to do better. To be honest, the Pharisees wanted to do better. But sometimes in our pursuit to be better, we lose our soul and we get distracted. We become more concerned about us and less concerned about others. Jesus says, be compassionate. And then he challenges their pride. He says, you give the appearance of humility, but in your soul, you're still proud. Be humble. Guard your heart. If you find yourself thinking your view is simply better than others, or that you see yourself better than others, you're that little less sinful, a little more together, a little smarter, a little wiser. You spend your time criticizing others and asserting how right you are. If you find yourself more concerned about the performance rather than the mission that God has called us, guard your heart. I believe Luke put this passage into his gospel because he longed for God's life, God's love, God's Holy Spirit to flow through us and to flow out into the world. He wanted to bring change and transformation. That's why this tough passage is here. Seeing the actions of the Pharisees causes me to call afresh God, fill me with your spirit. Help me to guard my heart from hypocritical tendencies. One day a man was walking through a beautiful church building with his four-year-old son. 
And as they walked, the young boy looked around. He stopped and was curious about the stained glass windows that looked so beautiful and bright in colour. As he looked at the windows, he asked, Who are all the people in the windows, Dad? They are saints, said the father. What are saints, Dad? the kid asked. The father was stuck. How was he going to explain who a saint was to a four-year-old boy? As the boy was still looking up at the windows and the father was still wondering how he would explain who the saints are, the young boy shouted, I know who saints are, Dad. They are the people that the light shines through. They are the people that the light shines through. That's what Luke is trying to say to us. Let the light shine through. And where there is darkness, where there is hidden, hidden things that we hold on to, let them out. Because Jesus wants the light to shine through. There are certain passages in Scripture that comfort the troubled heart. And there are certain passages in Scripture that trouble the comforted heart. This passage troubles the comforted heart. But can you see how Jesus, the judge, is also the gracious Lord who stands here this morning wanting to pour out his light and his love so that we can live for him. Betty Maxfield survived the 9-11 tragedy in the Pentagon in Chicago. She said, I should be dead. We were all for some reason saved. My question now is, what am I supposed to do with my life? I can't just waste it. I thought I was living my life well, but obviously there is more that I can do to say thank you for the chance that I have to live. Jesus is giving us that fresh chance to live today. He has given us the cross. He has given us the Spirit. We can guard our hearts, lay aside hypocritical tendencies, embrace the Lord, and move forward. At the beginning of Luke chapter 11, there is a wonderful prayer. I turn to that prayer regularly when I'm at the bedside. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that gets us right with God. It covers all bases. You know, even when I say the Lord's Prayer with a dementia patient, they remember it straight away. It comes to mind. It's one of those lovely prayers that we can pray to get ourselves right with God and to ask for the light of Jesus to flow through us. So why don't we stand together and say that prayer that comes at the beginning of chapter 11. And let's say that prayer and ask for God's Spirit to flow through us. Let's stand and say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever.